We have world leaders that have condoned violence in loads of different forms, whether that be like towards women, towards people of colour, you know, um, from the state against its people. This is happening all over the world. It's happening in the UK, it's happening in London. Adults are violent. And so we're just setting an example for young people to do the same, but young people don't have the voice to be able to like stand up and be like, no, we're actually other things as well. So I think that youth, youth culture ends up becoming equated with whatever the adults frame young people as. And if it's, if the flavour of the month, which it has been the flavour of the last few years, has been to focus on the violent music of young people, then that becomes the, the dominant way of understanding. So welcome to Time to Talk. My name's Alex Holmes, and it is usually my job to sit down with world-class thinkers and writers to discuss all aspects of healing. Together, we unpack deep topics in and around masculinity, mental health and psychology. And I always ask the one question, what is it time to talk about? And with who? So this week, I'm speaking to Kieran Thapar. Now, Kieran Thapar is a youth worker, social activist and writer based in London. His journalism on serious youth culture and violence uh, is around austerity politics, British multiculturalism and contemporary music culture can be found in The Guardian, British GQ, Vice and Pitchfork. He has experience developing and delivering charity programs in secondary schools, youth clubs and prisons, and is a founder of Roadworks, a music and social education charity. Kieran has advocated on behalf of young people in both Houses of Parliament, on national television and radio, and in legal court proceedings. Now, this conversation was centred around his new book, Cut Short, Youth Violence, Loss and hope in the city. Now, this was a really interesting conversation I had of Kieran, as I've admired Kieran for a long time. I've been reading a lot of his articles for a while, and I admire his work. And he is super passionate about the topics he speaks about and the element of culture that he is covering in his book and his articles. But we have a chat about urban culture tapping into your roots, connecting to the city. If you're born in London, I understand what it's like to live in a city in the UK. There are always elements of living on the fringes and then having to go in to the city. And it was a really interesting conversation we had around that and his new book, Cut Short. So, yeah, sit tight. We have a really, really interesting convo. But before we get into the show, just want to raise your awareness to our new Facebook group. If you go to facebook.com forward slash time to talk support group, there is a brand new group there where all of my listeners and the people in the time to talk community can go and have a conversation around the episodes. I post in there regularly. I'm asking questions. I'm checking in on you guys to make sure that we are you know, chatting about what's going on. But it's a place for you guys to ask questions to me, ask questions for the show, uh, you know, tap into any of the topics that we have brought up on the show and have your voice heard, really. There are 
potentials and ideas I have for the group. So the longer you stay in it, the more you benefit from those potentialities. So yeah, head over to facebook.com forward slash time to talk support group. It will be in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let us head over to the conversation with Kieran Fapa. Buckle up. It's a hell of a ride. Welcome, Kieran, to Time to Talk. Thank you for joining me here. It's a huge pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? How's everything going? Hi, how's it going? Um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good. Um, it's a, a intense, strange year that we've all just lived in, um, yeah. and I'm feeling the exhaustion from that. But I'm also, I think, compared to a few months ago, especially um, feeling a bit stronger and, and like ready to sort of take take things on for mm. stuff to open up for my book to come out etc so yeah. like i'm transitioning to being a bit stronger i think now which is cool yeah yeah yeah. getting into that resilience phase you know i think everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to kind of how to navigate being back in the world again um exactly that is tough i'm having i'm having particular difficulties trying to figure out how i'm gonna go out and venture across the city and see all my friends again but there's a that's a that's a that's a journey and a and a conversation for another time because <laughs> I've been so used to just being inside the house and you know obviously the pandemic was an excuse for introverts to be like I don't really want to have to go anywhere so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know what it's pandemic I'm not going anywhere and now it's like well everything's opening up so what do you do what do you do yeah. um, so I have the um, I'm building a time to talk playlist as people know um, on Spotify. And I'm basically getting getting songs from my guests, and I want to hear. I want to get. I want to create a flavor, you know. I want to create a flavor of the guests that are on here. Um, people have been giving me some wild, <laughs> wild suggestions, which is which is um, which shows how kind of wide and varying the guests that we have on here are. Mm. I would love to get two songs from you um, that are kind of. That, that impact you, but also that you feel um, close to or have kind of taken you out of dark times or whatever. But I think, yeah, two songs for the Time to Talk playlist. What are you putting on? All right, so the first one is um, a song called Glassy by R- Raf Sapera, who's a Punjabi folk singer, but he's based in Streatham in South London. And I've only just discovered him. So he's young. But he sings in like a traditional style, okay. but obviously over a, a sort of bhangra beat. So it's like jazzed up with sort of a hip hop. So it's, it's like super fu- like fusion music mm-hmm. that is quite traditional bhangra, but it's it's coming out like it came out a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just like proud Punjabi, but also South London, where I now live and have spent a lot of my time writing about. Yeah. So it's like this few, I, like, I know because I've only just discovered it and I'm on a bit of a journey of um i recently started learning punjabi as a way of sort of connecting with that side of my my um my heritage Mm -hmm. and it's just been like this song that's been on repeat because it it just captures a lot of where i'm at right now and it's sort of like it's a kind it's a fun song about drinking and you know dancing and partying and stuff which a lot of bhangra is about Mm -hmm. but um so it's it's not that deep but it's fun and it's like i feel like it's been a, a a good tune for me to tap into the last like month or so okay um, so what? How do so you the, how do you spell his name? Although this, this will be in the um, show notes, but how do you spell his name? 
It's RAF. So R A F S A P E R R A. Okay, I was close. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so that's the first one, mm-hmm. and then the second one. I'm finding it hard to choose this one. You know. Um, actually, no, no. You know what? All right. So, so if that one's like for the Punjabi. Pride. <laughs> yeah, this this song is like. Okay. Um, I've obviously written a lot about drill music over the yeah, last four yeah. years, and um, uh, I think it's it's just the 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 position it's in right now is really interesting. Um, obviously, at the one end of the spectrum, you have it, a body going to number one, but then at the other end of the spectrum, I'm involved in advocating for a lot of young people who are having drill pulled in mm. court cases. Mm. So there's a, there's a, there's a light and a dark side to it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also just loads of little niche subcultures coming out of it and, and sounds coming out of it. So um, one of those, uh, there's a song called Hold Up by Tolu Shorts, but it's featuring um, some other artists, including Earth Evil, who's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called Hold Up. And it's, it's not a drill song, but mm-hmm. it is. It's, it's, a, it's got a drill style instrumental, but it's got an electric inspired. guitar on it. Yeah. It's like grown man drill. Grown man drill. So, but yeah, because they're, they're not talking crud. They're talking like, they're talking about, they're just talking about real life. And mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all clearly like good lyricists. And so it's, it's I, I feel like it's a good one to have on that, that isn't dark. It's like celebratory and it's quite upbeat. But I've been listening to that a lot recently too. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I love that. So we've got the, we've got the Bangara kind of inspired and we've got the drill inspired. And I love that. That says a lot about, who Kieran is go. as well, like you know, kind of um, filling up that space to. You know, so, all right, so I'm going to add those to the playlist, um, and I'll be sharing that very, very shortly. Um, okay, so thanks, Kieran, for that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk to you about your book, um, Cut Short: Youth Violence, Loss, and Hope in the City. Um, several conversations and interviews and research drawn on on what it what it means to be young today in london and um center around london's youth violence epidemic and um you know if anybody's best place to write about that it's you um so i'm looking forward to kind of getting into that with you in a minute but you i want to tap back to something that you mentioned just a minute ago and you said that you are just getting back into punjabi lessons and i've seen that you've been kind of really getting into that um what kind of what has <clears throat> what has brought you back to kind of you know re- rediscovering and covering all that i remember I was, I was reading some of your posts or and you were and it was showing you a lot of like different proverbs in mm. in punjabi and i was just like yeah because i think that there's something so interesting and powerful about diaspora cultures especially cultures of color and um and their, their mother tongues and their languages and the proverbs mm. that have come up and what have you been learning what have you discovered in doing these lessons and about yourself what's been going on there um so it comes from a place of um there's loads of there's loads of things going on in the background um that sort of uh makes me who i am that doesn't necessarily get hasn't necessarily had the airtime in my writing about youth culture or drill or about music or about london or whatever 
I've tried to write a bit about it, but like there's there's a whole there's a lot of unanswered questions that I feel like I didn't have the space to answer while I was writing my book. Mm-hmm. And um I'm I'm half Indian Punjabi and I was not spoken to in Punjabi as a child. Mm-hmm. Me and my sisters were like the half white cousins, so we oh, got okay. spoken to in English. Okay. Um and it's always been a bit of a dream of mine to learn it. Um and beyond that to travel in India. Um, well, I've, I've traveled a lot in India already, but travel more in India. And I think that, um, yeah, learn, learning, like signing up to learning and getting into it is basically like me being like, okay, I finally got the headspace to like take this leap into the next phase of, of my life, really. Like mm. thinking about what I'm going to be writing about um, in the future uh, on top of, you know, youth culture and, and British society. I, I also really want to be writing about the British Asian experience and, um yeah, language and 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 post-colonial history and all these sort of things. So I feel like learning the learning the language of my grandparents and mm. trying to tap into memories and tap into that side of of my heritage was really important. And um, the book of Proverbs that I've been recommended to get is just a good like bit of fun for like practicing pronunciation and also learning like mm. quite cool, um, interesting nuggets of wisdom that I feel like older generation can leave us with so yeah. um yeah it's been it's been i've only been learning it for three weeks but it's genuinely changed my life in quite a significant way and i'm excited for what's to come so yeah what um there's yeah reconnecting in that way is so important and um but i'm always interested what what kind of what have you learned from some of the proverbs that have been um that have been put that you that you've that you've that you've gone through so basically in um Punjab is uh, Panch is five so uh, Punjab is the the land of the five rivers Mm -hmm. so rivers and water and flowing water you have the Ganges which is obviously the the holy river for Hindus my grandparents are Hindu Um, rivers are there's the river Thames like I love the river Thames like I spent I grew up on the river Thames like my my family home was next to it like I feel like rivers rivers are just a massive part of my life and I feel like they like they're just really interesting to think about and the proverb um that I put up the other day um is water always flows downhill Mm. and so the explanation is a common theme in Indian literature is to analogize water with a virtuous person so it's like you always flowing downhill and you're offering you know you're being humble basically as you move through life and um bringing like new lands you know offering yourself to to new lands so i think that that's like a really nice proverb um that is yeah, one of the ideas expressed that I've, that's resonated with me basically mm, mm, mm. i think when it comes to proverbs it always tells you about a people it tells you a lot about a culture and, and the way they think and how you know especially just the way that it cannot be easily translated into um another language i studied languages when i was at uni and um it was always difficult to get i did french and spanish it was always difficult to get the french translation of a a proverb into the english and Mm. um but what it did was it did help you understand the way that the way that we think about particular things metaphorically and um philosophically i guess and what i found a lot about Asian culture is the the metaphors that are used 
are very much to do with nature and to do with um, the elements and to do with those kinds of experiences with more Western is more to do with the mind and, um, you know, things about the way we think and about um, immediate um, occurrences. So it's actually super interesting and I'm always interested to hear, but I'm excited for your journey through, you know, through your lessons as well, man. Um, Like, are you, are you, are you pushing for fluency or like, or and why? And, and, and did you ever ask your dad why you didn't why you didn't speak um, like learn Punjabi and your family? So uh, I'm pushing for fluency, but probably that's a lifetime goal, not yeah, yeah. not a short term goal. Not, definitely not. Um, and and like the fact that I just read that proverb out in English is evidence of the fact that I'm not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not confident enough yeah, trying yeah. the Punjabi version of it yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my dad spoke it to his brothers and um, friends and fam and, and parents and elder family members, but mm. it wasn't practical to speak. I understand, like it's annoying, but I understand why he didn't speak to us because if he's, you know, he, my dad's a doctor, he worked very hard. If mm. he's spending a lot of time working, and my mum gave up her job as a nurse to look after us, and obviously she's the mother tongue in the house, she's mm. she speaks English, so okay. it makes sense for my dad to. He he always, he chucked in a few words here and there. So actually what I'm realizing by doing the course is I actually do latently know a few things, which is nice to, mm-hmm. to realize. Um, but yeah, it, it just wasn't practical, I guess. And um, but, but yeah, I, I think that's also indicative of a whole generational mm. trend, actually, um, of like our parents' generation had to assimilate. And I don't know that uh, the emphasis that I now have on needing to speak it and capture it and learn about history and learn about culture I feel like that comes from a generational pool that our, our generational ha- our generation has you know starting to really try and trace back where we come from um I, I don't think that our parents generation necessarily had that as strong so I feel like it comes from that too yeah yeah it's um it's it is really interesting in that way just because uh, especially um a lot of the obviously mother tongues, as you said, like you know, when it comes mm. to mothers, they would then they if they were of particular background or culture, they're the ones that would kind of carry that language into into the family typically. Um, but also, you, but also, you're absolutely right about the assimilation piece as well. You know, people are um, you, you do what you can to survive. You do what you, you do what you can to survive, and obviously, if that just means that your survival means speaking the language of where you are, where you are, um, you know, predominantly. So, did you do you understand it? Like, did you could you understand the conversations he was having with your uncles and family no. friends? That's not at all. Okay. No, no, no. I would um, always be curious. Just, to kind of just, just like, just on. like really, really bait words. Yeah. And I went, to, I went to school. Like, my school was probably about sixty percent Asian mm-hmm. um, of all different varieties and languages and stuff but you naturally pick up swear words and slang yeah. and stuff in Punjabi and yeah, yeah. Tamil and stuff like that so yeah, no yeah. but uh, the, the answer is no I don't understand it when, when yeah. people are speaking around me just like the odd word yeah yeah I remember there's a, there a bit in I May Destroy You um, and you know and they're talking, and asking Michaela Cole's character but is it Arabella about why she couldn't understand Tree 
and stuff. And um, and her older brother was like listening and all these conversations and trying to oh, understand yeah, what yeah. was going on, you know. So um, I find that find that super super interesting. But yeah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep emailing you and asking you how how's the Punjabi going and dropping you some messages on um, yeah do it on Instagram, man, because um, I think that's super dope and it's really good to really keep reconnect in that way because it's your it's your heartbeat you know like it's um it's part of you yeah exactly um and it's really interesting because this is a nice nice very lovely segue into what we're going to talk about today as well because i love bodies of water i love that myself so that's why i was kind of taken with the with the proverb that you put up and what you're mm. talking about and when it came to rivers and i spent you know pre-pandemic i spent a lot of time um on south bank i used to go and just sit and just kind of like watch the the river it's not the most glamorous and not the most glorious river but it's, That's a good it's, spot, it, it's a nice spot to kind of sit down and like look out um and it's one of the things in one of the things wherever i end up going because i worked for a time in glasgow as well and the river clyde i went there for a while i used to stand like used to stand on the bridge and just kind of look over it um and stand at the bank and just watch it i covered a few news stories on there too and it was really um and I'm always drawn to to bodies of water, the ocean, the rivers, the sea. But when it comes to us being from London, and um, the river is 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 really the heartbeat because it connects like the whole the whole piece together. And I find that as we continue, as we grow up, it's, it's that it's that one central thing from our us as young people up to adulthood. It's the one central thing that connects us all, and. I just wanted to kind of get a, get an idea of like what have you kind of learnt about documenting culture in London and urban culture. I want to say um, because, I, cause, you know, your, a lot of your writing is around that and around kind of how we show up in that space and whether that be the music or um, or young people, um, and then kind of lead into how that kind of influenced the book. You, that you wrote um but what have you learned by kind of documenting culture in that way so so i went uh, i grew up like in the west london suburbs far suburbs like around heathrow airport so oh, my family home was in Staines, and um um i went to school in kingston mm-hmm. so i my experience was very suburban um which meant, I think, and I think this this stands for a lot of people, that you, if you're trying to access, which I was, music and um, just culture in general, then it's obviously you're you're looking inward at the city the whole time. You're like feeling pulled towards the center of the city a lot of the time. I I certainly felt that growing up, even though I had a, you know, I, I value and and had a very comfortable upbringing out where I was living and where I grew up. Like I felt like it lacked, um, it lacked a lot of excitement and 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 a lot of like musical richness that the the inner city has. And so I think part of, I mean, there's loads of different reasons why um, I would find London more central London interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them was definitely that I sort of caught the garage grime bug when I was like 12 mm-hmm. and was completely obsessed with grime in its infancy um throughout my teenage years which meant that um yeah I think that that was the that was one of the first instances of me really being like okay London is this super massive uh dense complex place but it produces 
these these sounds and why does it produce these sounds and what does Mm. that say about the people making it what does it say about the people listening to it how how is how is this music that is getting made over in east london in some like pirate radio station how is that reaching me as a 13 year old tuning into it on the other side of london like all these questions and so i think fast fast forward to me becoming a youth worker in 2015 and starting to do lots of volunteering and mentoring in South London when I moved to Brixton, um, I I started to apply, I guess, that same intrigue um, to the conversations I was having with young people. And at that yeah. point, drill was, yeah, sort of starting to for a very very small number of communities in South London, it was starting to become like a predominant sound and subculture for for young people so um yeah in answer to your question i i think that that's the, a really quick summary of the journey musically um mm. and my interest in london via music but mm. I, I guess i've learned that kind of what i said just now that like that sounds come out of social contexts and mm. and communities and people and uh cities and and we we produce music, we produce sounds, we produce culture as a way of symbolizing or capturing a certain reality that isn't easily expressible in other forms. So it, it might not be expressible in language, it might not be expressible in um, in film. It, it might be that it has to come out in in that particular type of music or that particular type of sound. And so documenting youth culture more broadly, that's how I look at it, and that's. Mm. It's it, we in order to understand the social realities of young people, we have to look at what they're listening to and and what music they're making and yeah um and and so that's yeah but one that's one of the big learnings I think it's being patient and being really humble about the fact that we know so little about why people do what they do mm. and so coming at it with that humility always. Mm, mm, mm. it's funny what you say about being from west london and having to go in because nothing really happens like this on the on, on the, these fringes um i live a bit further a bit a bit further in but i'm still west and um i always found it i always found it interesting because i never actually went I, I went to the city for the for the for the typical things school trips and um and then ventured ventured into i mean i think when i got to 18 17 18 we started talking about oh do you want to go central quote unquote like and i was like i don't even know what that means what, what, like you know we've got we've got all these shopping centers around here like why are we kind of delving into that we're in london anyway um and it wasn't until i really got into the into the city that i started to explore all of that stuff it's exactly what you're saying you know you get there's more um first raves went to because I, when i was coming up it was funky house um quite a bit like it was at that, at that it was at the height of that um mm. and whatnot so gone I just said that's sick that yeah. you got to experience the funky house. Yeah, funky house. Um, yeah, man. A levels, A levels, man. It was as soon as that was when Deneo came out. Um, and the same for me, pretty much. So yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, so it was actually um, it was pretty good, and actually, and you know, you can get a lot from understanding the youth, um, understanding the youth by the music that is that is around at the time, and what that and what that looks like. But I'm super interested into. Um, Kind of what you what you think is happening at the minute with regards to youth culture. I mean, this directly relates to your to your book um, because you know it's it's so proudly and you know poignantly points to the you know youth violence 
here and what's going on in London. And I think that is kind of a really overlooked conversation. We don't, mm. um, I, I'm, I'm listening to things, you know, we've just had our mayoral, mayoral election. We've just, um, um, we consistently berate young people like all the time. And it's, it's been something that's been happening. For I mean, growing up, I think when I was in A-levels, it was the year of the Lib Dem coalition. Um, that was that was all that stuff, you know, all those promises to young people that were just kind of like thrown away um, as soon as they got into power and the distrust that was happening. So I wanted to get an idea for you. Someone who's a youth worker who writes routinely around this stuff, like what is your perspective on what is going on here? So I suppose there's a few parts to that, right? Yeah. Like um, on youth violence specifically, um, and with regards to Cut Short, my book, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I'm i keen to, every time that I present an analysis of a problem, also provide a solution or or at least have a conversation about this is a pro- as a, a phenomenon that is also capped by the need to also talk about something uplifting and hopeful as well, which is why in the subtitle of the book, it's youth violence, loss and hope. Like mm-hmm. lives are being lost, but there is hope. And I think this, this is what I would say about youth culture and the way it's presented in general is that um, the focus is on, on a negative the focus is on the loss the focus is on um the way that young people lack things and and do bad things and that being their individual fault um and therefore we need to punish them or we need to lock stuff off in order to protect them and there might be some truth to to that but um I, i just think that there needs to be a shift in the conversation or in the discourse away from uh, just seeing, for example, youth violence as a mugshot in mm. a newspaper headline or the headline itself um, and towards telling very complex human stories about the people that perpetrate and are victims of violence, mm. as well as people that make music or young people that, um, play sport or whatever it is young people youth culture um, requires a much more nuanced and complex um, lens in the way that wider society sees young people sees youth culture than it than it has done and I think that the lack of that has meant that youth violence is sensationalized and often talked about in a really um, simplistic way um, and judgmental way and so what my book cut short tries to do is to tell a story through my experiences as a youth worker and the experiences of three young men that I've mentored um, in South London in schools in youth clubs I've, I've spent a time working in prisons as well so I write about that um, and it tries to basically tell this five-year story giving my perspective as a youth worker giving their perspective as three young people navigating a society that is extremely unfair and extreme has a, has a lot of inequalities and has a lot of pressures on the, on those young people, but can end as the book does with hope and with happiness and, and with resilience. And um, so, yeah, it's about, for me, I always, 
analyzing some of the problems going on and and also presenting solutions and i guess it just it, to cap it off just to answer your question about what's going on i think you know as a as a set of problems i i would say there is a whole systemic process that takes place when a young person is deemed to be a problem when they enter secondary school or even at primary school the way that schools are ill-equipped for a whole set of different reasons to deal with certain behavioural problems, to deal with the fact that a lot of young people are coming from broken homes or impoverished homes. Um, there's a process that starts early and it continues all the way up until adulthood. And a lot of young people are just becoming trapped in that process and they have no way out of it. Mm. Um, so I, I think that in a really, really general sense, that's what's going on. I think that the structures we've created oppress a lot of young people and they're not able to escape those that that lane that leads them to potentially a quite a dark ending um and so for me yeah the book my work is all about trying to resolve that and provide solutions to that mm. is it right to center this conversation on violence yeah it is yeah i mean it, i think if you're asking about youth culture that's separate to asking about violence i think that they're two different things they obviously like, interplay i feel like they i feel like we conflate the two often don't we it's like as soon as we think about youth culture now we're in our minds and like synonymously we think about violence we think about danger we think about all of that stuff um i'm super interested where that comes from yeah potentially yeah i think you're right to say that um well i think it comes from i think the world is a violent place <laughs> i think the world is a violent place Young people are powerless, more powerless than adults. And so young people don't get the opportunity to have a level playing field of telling their stories that adults do. Mm. Adults can control what headlines are being said and pretend like they're not corrupt. And, you know, but we have, but we have world leaders that have condoned violence in loads of different forms, whether that be like towards women towards people of colour, you know, mm. um, from the state against its people. This is happening all over the world. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in London. Adults are violent. And so we're just setting an example for young people to do the same, but young people don't have the voice to be able to like stand up and be like, no, we're actually other things as well. So I think that youth, youth culture ends up becoming equated with whatever the adults frame young people as. And if it's if the flavor of the month, which it has been the flavor of the last few years has been to focus on the violent music of young people, then that becomes the, the dominant way of understanding them. But, you know, and again, as I try and show and cut short, there's like a whole world of different things going on in these young people's lives. So there's a character in cut short called Carl, mm -hmm. who is um, what you, what you might call the, the quote unquote more violent young person in the book. Mm -hmm. He's sub subject to violence. He's, carries a knife etc but i tried to show that there is a whole what there's a whole multi-layered experience of being a young man like him you know he has a loving relationship with church he has morals that he regularly checks in his head like i don't, I don't feel like i should do this to that, that person but you know like con constantly it's not just a simplistic understanding of these young people as like feral youth it's, it's it's much more complicated than that and i think that by telling some of these stories in a more nuanced positive way then i'm trying to change that yeah 
Yeah. I'm always interested as to, because, you know, when I, whenever I look at youth and youth culture, I look at the socioeconomic um, backgrounds and kind of what push, I'm always interested into what pushes people into these spaces, what, what, what brings them there, rather than it just being this matter of fact thing that this is what is here, this is it, this is what they're like, this is the blanket statement. So I'm always interested in what brings them here and obviously where they can go forward and i think that that's and i think that's what you do a good job of here is you talk about kind of throughout like as what you said about at the end with there being um hope and um and change towards the end of the book and 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 whatnot um but how do we kind of shift those those narratives that we that has been kind of played with like you know we we see you said that we see the adults acting a particular way so the children are going to act a particular way young people children they're going to act a particular way we see that you know there's a particular certain set of circumstances with regards to what you just said about carl who has to then protect himself in particular in a particular way um what happens next how do we move how do how do we kind of move in that shift because i know that there's this point where they get to a particular point of their young adulthood and then it just becomes very like very risky like the, the the trajectory to where they end up whether that be um arrested under the mental health act whether that be arrested and sent to hmp um you know dead like how do we kind of re rejig that in order for us to kind of create a world where that doesn't happen. Like, so I think that's a, that's, that's a, there's a, it's a big question. Um, and I think to, to, to just act like I have all the answers would be, your perspective. You know, I, I don't, Not um, yeah. but I do. So one of the key things that I say in cut short mm. for just, if I'm speaking to just the everyday person, right? Someone who, an adult who is a student or goes does their job, um, you know, lives wherever across the country, across the UK, or even abroad, um, and wants to connect with this as a subject and feel like they they can do something humbly and reasonable to contribute towards solving it, is as a very first step, there has to be. I feel like there has to be a bit of risk taking, but also um uh, letting pride go a bit about um just st- opening ourselves up to to other people and, and new conversations i think a lot of people are stuck in um routines which is completely fair enough not stuck but just have routines um and i believe that especially in london especially for other capable educated uh financially relatively secure young adults like you and I like you know like p- people between the age of 20 and 40 there is so much that can be done with just a really subtle change in behavior to try and at least push this issue in the right direction um and and one of the things that I advocate for constantly is volunteering and mentoring and sort of the cut short is basically like a handbook for like okay if you want to mentor someone, this is how I've tried to do it. And this is some of the things I've got right. This is some of the things I've got wrong. Like if you read this book, I hope that this will inspire you to do your version of whatever I've done. Like that's that's essentially what I'm trying to say. So 
I don't think that that would necessarily just change youth violence or solve it. But I think that by having more adults connected with young people and more adults connected with individual young people that they feel responsible for and feel that they can support and learn from as well, I feel like like that is is one very practical step that we can all take going forward. Um, that's that's on a human like everyday reader level, but then there's also the level of policy and people in power and the government making certain decisions. And I think that there are a lot of decisions that are being made, especially over the last year behind closed doors that are really, really going to make stuff harder for young people over the coming years. I mean, this has been happening for years anyway, Mm -hmm. in terms of cuts. And so you might not have the, the cuts to services that have taken place continuing now because the government's decided to U-turn on aspects of those things. Mm. Um, But a lot of them still stand in so many different ways. And the decimation of all these different services that are relied upon by impoverished young people in particular, um, that middle-class kids just don't have to worry about. I don't, growing up, I would never had to worry about the closure of a local youth club because I didn't go to a local youth club. Um, and and I, I kind of wish I had done, but like that a lot of young people who aren't comfortable at school, aren't comfortable at home, aren't comfortable out on the roads, go to youth clubs to spend time and feel safe. And mm. so youth services is one of many different examples that I give in the book mm. um, about how on a policy level, you can really start to think about how to make change if you invest in it properly so mm. there's the human aspect to it and the and the policy aspect of it but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that i've got all the answers no of course you don't of course you don't like this is why we have these conversations you know like we said yeah. we can actually start to kind of like sow some seeds of some kind so hopefully somebody who's listening yeah, exactly. can be like oh my God, like what what can what can i do because you know i i if you're anything like me as a writer and somebody who cares deeply about the topics that we talk about and write about, um, I became overwhelmed with the fact that, oh my God, like, what can I do? What can I be doing to do this? What can, mm-hmm. where can we go for? I know that obviously you can't, you can't, you can't do everything. You don't have the answers for everything. Um, and it, it can become overwhelming and I get so attached to these causes and so attached to all of this stuff. It really then becomes a thing where like, if we don't have these conversations at the very least, then where do we begin at the, you know, and it's, um, and, and it's tricky. And it's why books like your books are important. Um, we've got, I was looking at things like, I was looking at the stats with regards to kind of like lost youth services. So it's funny that you, that you say that. Um, and you know, like I'm reading, um, from, from Sean Berry, this was back in like 2018, um, and she said council youth service employment has been reduced on average by 39% funding to voluntary sector youth work has also gone down by an average of 35% in councils um, that were able to provide the data for it um, the average council has cut its youth service budget by nearly £1 million an average of 36% and at least £22 million has been cut from council youth service budgets across London um, 32 boroughs 32, um, which houses so many young people. I I went to a youth club um, down in Halston, um, near where I where I live, and I was just kind and I and I used to go there and it was fun. You know, it was a nice kind of it was a community thing. It was run by local churches. Um, we went there. We had our youth workers. I I was I was also a part of um, youth groups, um, predominantly 
by the churches because they were the ones that were kind of housing a lot of these youth, youth, youth groups. And then all of a sudden they were all shut. Obviously, when you're young, you don't really recognise um, kind of where that all where that's all come from. One minute something's open, the next minute something's not. So you kind of, mm. you know what I mean? So you, you don't really take much in stock with that. Um, but you were absolutely right about what you said. It's like when you come from a middle-class background or a background that doesn't necessarily need those things, but you enjoy them. When it stopped, I wasn't kind of phased. I was like, okay, um, I have to find something else to do. Um, mm. And that and that went and that kind of took me uh, took me a step back away from it and and around. But it affected a lot of my friends as well because there was nothing for them to do because you know we're coming from really turbulent internal experiences, in house experiences and stuff. Um, lead me to the question of how have you kind of married the idea of being able to write about this stuff from the particular background that you have. Um, mm. it's very, I, I battled with this a lot, battled with this a lot. Um, so I'm really interested into what you thought and how you kind of navigated that coming from your particular background as what you said about class in particular, because lo- class in London is very specific and, uh, and mm. it needs to be kind of talked about quite a bit, but coming from the, your area and your space that you're kind of inhabiting, how did you, how do you navigate that? It's a good question. Um, something I still think about a lot. Um, I honestly believe that. So, my dad is a doctor. My mum is a nurse. I come from a family of nurses and doctors, and like public service actors. And I do feel like it's kind of in my makeup to. You know, growing up, it was normal to just be continually talking or have a conversation about how mum or dad had supported X person, supported Y person at the hospital, uh, at the doctor's surgery or at school because my mum's a school nurse. Like these, this was just a normal part of conversation. So on the one, on the one hand, I think it's part of uh, my makeup to want to try and provide some sort of help towards people who I live in society with like that's just I get a lot of personal fulfillment and it speaks to me on a deep level to uh, offer whatever stability and skills I have to try and support other people Um, and I think by doing that I gain from from that right like I develop I get a sense of self I um, I feel part of society so I think on a very fundamental level I've always come at it like that the reason that I think I've been able to navigate, you know, and, and I've made mistakes over the past, like this hasn't always been a smooth road and I try and document that in the book as well. Um, but I really, really think that the f- the fact that I did so much volunteering work is, is the difference here um, between whether I would have been able to and, and not have been able to navigate this space like I have done over the last five years and end up writing a book. So many of the relationships that I write about in Cut Short are off the back of spending hundreds, if not thousands of hours voluntarily um, spending time with people, supporting them. Um, yes, I had, a, I had I had paid jobs. Like I got, I was paid to work for a charity that put me in schools. I was paid for a charity that put me in prisons. I've earned money from youth services 
but I've also done like coupled that with a lot of you know several evenings a week of of mentoring or volunteering as well and I think that creating um a way of supporting other people that doesn't give you financial reward which I still do to this day that allows you to start seeing new possibilities for things because I think capitalism the drive for money and profit can easily just subsume and and take over your motivations so easily you know we have to pay our rent we have to feed ourselves it's understandable that that's an important thing to do to make money but making that time where you have that half an hour or hour a week where you where you're developing that voluntary relationship or voluntary ability to support someone else and, and learning from someone else that for me has been a fundamental and I think that it's taught me a lot and it's allowed me to build relationships that I don't think I would have been able to build had I not been volunteering. So yeah, I think it's, I guess it's two, two things to that really. It's, it's fundamentally what drives me doing this work, but it's also, I think I've I've got quite lucky with the, you know, I've made decisions to start volunteering, but I've also got lucky that I've been you know, met some amazing people along the way that have allowed me to allow me into their lives and, and allowed me to tell this story. So, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's got a few more questions before we round up, but um, I want to know about your kind of like, what was that kind of turning point? I know that you said that you, when you went down, you moved down to Brixton, you started getting involved in, um, in mentoring and obviously kind of going we, we talked about going into London and what that looked like as a as a cultural kind of migration into the space um which is really weird to say but like yeah you kind of move we kind of as soon as we discover the city we descend we, we descend upon it and like yeah okay like we, we want to go here and take ownership of certain places what what led you into into doing the mentoring I mean um I remember I did a lot of work with the National Citizen Service with um, local radio to do mentoring and worked with young, worked with young people, worked with young boys, um, which has really informed a lot of the way that I kind of show up and how I want to and how I want to impact and stuff. Um, that was all by chance. But what did did you have any? Was there any particular thing that said, okay, all right, I want to go into youth work. I want to go into um, learning about policy and really kind of go in and, and, and understand what is happening on the ground. Yeah, it was a very subtle, small decision that was, was my pivot, um, which is in, is in the cut short in, in the start of the book, towards the start of the book, when I was doing my master's in political theory at LSE. And, okay. and, and that really doing that master's was my way of being like, right, I've taken a couple of years out after my undergraduate. I've tried a couple industries working. I like, I fundamentally want to work in charity and the third sector. And I want to figure out what I care about the most and how I can be most useful to society. And so I, I did that masters with that sole aim. And during that year, I signed up for a charity called into university who provide student mentors to teenagers and, and primary school kids across London and the country. And I signed up there, just happened to walk through the volunteering fair and was like, oh, I need to, I like, this would help my current process of trying to figure everything out. Signed up, got matched with a mentee called Jamar, who was a 12-year-old, year eight kid yeah. um, in Brixton. And then fast forward to now, he's, you know, 19, the, the, the main 
it, yeah, one of the main, if not the main character of Cut Short. He's amazing. He's a spokesperson for young people. He's a musician. Um, we're still very close. I'm close with his family. So yeah, the, the start of the journey was, was me meeting Jamar really. Um, and, and him from that, from that first minute realizing, okay, this is me. This is like, I'm a youth worker. Like this, this is what I'm meant to, I'm here for, like to, to support young people, especially I think young men and boys to find themselves and, and feel listened to. Um, mm. so yeah, that, that was the first step of that. And in it, and then from that, I just built, built, built doing more of it really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. That's super interesting. Cause, um, I think once you build that connection, I think doing the N, doing the NCS, um, it was kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had any, any experience of them or what they, what they do bit, with, yeah. with, um, with their summer programs. And, um, I was a residential mentor and like, literally that is the role where it's like, you see them come in and out. Like it's literally like a turnaround every two weeks. There's some, there's a completely new cohort. Now, every week there's mm. a new cohort so it's like the impact like I, I i had so many conversations in like a month because like every young person had a completely different idea identity experience you know um and all of that so it was super um super super interesting to kind of to figure to figure that out um but yeah mm. man um i you know in everything that you're doing what has kind of how have you looked after your mental well-being as well as what are you what can you say to the mental well-being of young people so i think keeping it totally real here mm. i think in many ways i haven't looked after my mental well-being mm. um and i've had to learn ways of of looking after it just like we all do um but although I'm very proud and celebratory at this stage of having written a book that I believe is going to make an impact and it's obviously about to come out. So I'm excited for it. I'm yeah. also super wary of telling everyone that can listen that like creating it wasn't just a walk in the park for me and my mental health. Like yeah. I, I probably pushed myself too hard um, and, and, and didn't really think about the impact that taking on a lot of, mentoring responsibilities or giving myself to writing every evening and every weekend, you know, what it, I, only now do I really think about the impact that that's had on some of my relationships, some of my, mm. my moments where I've just clearly not been my full self. And I feel like the last year has blessed many of us with the time to think and reflect on these questions. And therefore I feel stronger for it. Um, but yeah, for, for so many so for so much of the period in which Cutshaw and my career is based over the last six years um I feel like like many people I was skating very close to burnout and just going 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 um and I think that that that's caused problems in the past but I'm really pleased now that like I feel just taking a pause and introducing daily ritualistic practices to make sure that I'm looking after myself has like completely transformed my life. So I feel much stronger for it. So, mm. you know, just simple, simple things like meditating and, and being much more deliberate about exercise, um, making sure that I'm 
not trying to have a hundred conversations, but have like three really good ones in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, realizing my bandwidth and, and how far that can spread. Yeah. Um, so these sorts of questions, I think that um, for me personally, have, have become very important, having experienced quite a lot of difficulty before. Um, and then the mental health of young people, mm. it's a really hard time. It's a really, really hard time. And um, I just think the last year has been mad, hasn't it? And if you're young and you're, um, you've got a set of expectations about what the next week or the next month or the next year is going to look like. And then mm. that gets raised, raised to the ground. Um, and you don't have much life experience to turn to, or maybe you don't have stability at home or stability at school to turn to either. That must be really, really, really destabilizing. So um, it's, it's a bleak time. I think it, just to keep it real, I think it's, 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 it's a, it's a difficult time for young people, which is why I think that some of the, solutions that i present in cut short and that just people generally now are trying to really emphasize with regards to like mental health and regards to mindfulness and regards to not just constantly punishing young people for their behavior but trying to understand it and treat it these sorts yeah. of things are going to be more important than ever over the next few years so yeah okay man well thank you so much for joining me in the show but before we go um do you have any books that you want to suggest for people to kind of get themselves right, get themselves together, get themselves, escape into something or learn something new from? Um, well, I mean, I suppose escape, I'm looking at my bookshelf, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I suppose, I mean, escaping. So my, my, one of my favorite books is, which completely changed my life and has helped my writing a lot is the hero of a thousand faces by Joseph Campbell. Oh my gosh. I was um, just reading that this weekend and doing, yeah. Mad. Amazing. We'll talk. <laughs> there you go. So that book, when I read that, uh, when I was in my early twenties, just like that, that played a big role in shaping the way I think about change and thinking about self like fulfillment of self and, um, so I would say if you want a big, hard hitting, dense, but life, potentially life changing book, Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. And then, um, uh, pff, yeah, okay. My, my, another one of my favorite books, which really inspired Cut Short, is uh, The Corner by David Simon, who's the person that created The Wire as well. Um, I think um, the way that Americans have, have sort of done literature about the city is mm. really 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 good they they know how to write about cities mm. um and i and for me it was really inspiring to read the corner and obviously watch the wire um as 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 a precursor to writing cut short because i'm i'm trying to really write about the city and, and what the city is like to live in and and mm. how it affects people so anyway the corner is my recommendation amazing amazing well thank you so much for joining me Kieran I'm gonna have all of these in the show notes for people to you know go out and in on in their own time but um yeah thank you again thank you so much man for joining me thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to the episode this show is produced by pure creation media you can support the podcast by rating, reviewing the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. As the show gets more reviews and more ratings, the more the show can grow. 
have a happy week until next time i'll catch you then see you soon <laughs>